Hi guys, welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, Sarah Avery. I'm your host. Today, one artist's journey from Rebbitson to internationally acclaimed artist. Helen Elan grew up in Borough Park in Brooklyn in a world of Orthodox families. She was a bit of a rebel, but that rebellion didn't stop her from following a prescribed path. She got married at 18, she married a rabbi, they had two kids. When she was 25 years old, though, her path diverged. Her husband got sick. She was a widow by 30. That was in 1960. The assumption, of course, was that a woman in her position would marry her husband's brother. Instead, Elon became an artist, and now, at the age of 82, she looks back on what was a remarkable career. Her work has been shown at the Whitney Museum in New York City, at the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles, and in galleries and museums across the world. In fact, there's something of an Elon revival happening right now. Elon is also a writer. In her memoir, called Whatever is Contained Must Be Released, She writes eloquently about her orthodox background, she writes about her evolution as a feminist artist, and she writes a lot about her enduring relationship with her mother. For me, that part was the most moving of all. This past spring, Julie Burstein visited Elon at her loft in Lower Manhattan. Julie's an independent radio producer, and she's also the author of Spark, How Creativity Works. She sent us this audio portrait. The first thing we see as Helene Lund shows us into her apartment are paintings and photographs on the walls, sculptures on the floor and shelves, and a bowl of fruit set out for us on the table. And then there's that whoosh of sound. The sound could almost, you could imagine it's the ocean if you don't know it's cars, actually. That ebb and flow is the traffic on the West Side Highway, just a few stories below the large windows that face south and west. On the windowsill, silhouetted against a view of the Hudson River and New Jersey, is a set of huge brass candlesticks. They used to have pride of place on Helene's mother's Shabbos table. My mother's candlesticks, my mother lighting them, and that nostalgia is there with me. It's in my DNA. I begin the book talking about my mother. I end the book talking about those candles, actually. The feminist press that published the book said, you know, Helene, you're an artist. You keep talking about your mother. I said, okay, okay. And so I threw in a lot of art people. But she, like you, you, you realize that she was the dominant person in the book. Helene is soft-spoken and gentle, graceful with long white hair. But her intensity and passion, as well as humor and rebellion, come through in her art and her writing. In whatever is contained must be released, Elon tells the story of becoming an artist and becoming a feminist while remaining connected to her mother and the complicated, observant Jewish world she grew up in. She remembers that insular neighborhood vividly. I was going to Shalomith School for Girls and carrying my heavy briefcase of, for Hebrew and English studies and... Um, my mother would open the dining room window and call out, head up, chin in, shoulders back, stomach in. She would do that and not mind if neighbors heard that. And I would be schleppily going along to school. Under the influence of women like her mother and her beloved teacher, Maura Cohen, Elon absorbed but also bristled at lessons about the role of women in a Jewish household. She explores that tension in this passage from her book. 
Maura Cohn taught me a poem by Bialik in which he writes that he can taste the salty tears in his mother's challah. I could taste the emotion in my mother's luxemkugel, both the apricot and the plain, her knedlach, her rugelach, her chremslach, potato pancakes, her harain, horseradish, to serve with her gefilte fish, her latkes, her noant, a honey and nut candy, and her chalupshas, a dish of stuffed cabbage. I could taste it in the apples and honey she set out for us to eat after the prayer for a sweet year, and in the glaze of tea, tea in a glass, which she always served boiling hot and filled to the brim. One dish that puzzled me was a zucherkechel, literally translated as boy pastry, which she made to celebrate the birth of a boy baby served on the Friday night following the newborn's birth. That round, thin, bumpy pastry, the size of a large pizza, was somewhat sculptural with its grooves and its sugary overlay resembling snow on a rock-strewn landscape. There was no such astonishing pastry for celebrating a newborn girl, a cause yet to be challenged by Jewish feminists. Helene Lund grew up in this world full of questions about the roles of boys and girls, women and men, questions that started early and never stopped, and also full of a passion for art. As a girl, she drew pictures of her little sister while she was sleeping, because she says she kept nice and still, and also still lifes of wine and kiddish cups, her mother would introduce her as my daughter, the artist. But as soon as I took it really seriously, that was another story. I could be artistic, but not an artist. Elon married at 18, and in her apartment, you encounter a sculpture that includes four life-size photographs of her in her wedding dress. She's radiant. The images of Helen are like the posts of a chuppah, but in the center, instead of a happy couple, there's the image of a gravestone. It's her husband's. Elon's husband died when he was in his 30s, leaving her a young widow with two small children in Brooklyn. Still, she dreamed of pursuing life as an artist, and when her daughter started kindergarten, Helen enrolled in Brooklyn College, where she studied art with the influential abstract expressionist, Ad Reinhardt. He didn't really teach, but he, let, he, he looked at me like I was an artist, not a student. Uh, and I, was able, I started making veils. Maybe they were bridal veils. I don't know. Maybe they were all this nistar, the mystery, the secrets. And um, he was major in encouraging me. Since that class at Brooklyn College, Elon has continued to pursue mysteries, not to unravel them, but to deepen them. She harnessed the ebb and flow of time in her series of paintings that gradually change, watching and waiting to see how the work would develop. With another series she called The Breakings, Helen left puddles of paint on canvases flat on the floor to dry. Months later, with a ritual intoning of the phrase, whatever is contained must be released, the artist and her friends would hoist the canvas upright and paint would spill out of the dried sack that had formed on the surface. This was her first phase of work connected to bodies and change and gravity. 
It's about the woman's body as visceral, the truth of the body that makes us live or die. And of course, I, I actually came back to my grandmother's, who was my roommate until I was almost 17. Uh, she was my roommate, and she would teach me to say the prayer, Asher Yatsar Tadam Bechachma, you know, the prayer when you go to the bathroom and you, you say, uh, if something was open when it should be closed or closed when it should be open, we could not stand before you. So um, perhaps that had to do with the breakings. Her art in the 1970s focused on the body. She measures the decades by liberation movements that influenced her work. In the 80s, she centered on the liberation of the earth itself, filling sacks with sand at the ocean, carrying pillowcases filled with earth from nuclear sites across the country. She transported this rescued earth in a truck she had painted to look like an earth ambulance and laid the sacks at the feet of the United Nations in a mass rally for disarmament in 1982. In the 1990s, Helene Lon began to investigate what is perhaps her boldest liberation project yet. She calls it the God Project, and the catalyst was her mother. Her eyesight was diminishing, and she wanted me to read to her. And I, I would have been happy reading some novel, but no, it had to be the Cedra of the Week that she was missing. And so as I was reading to her, I was hyperventilating, frankly. It was at that time that I knew I had to do something. The source of that emotion was the way that patriarchy and domination are written into the very foundations of the texts of Judaism. So Helene Lon began her liberation of God. She looked into the Torah for all the places where, in her words, patriarchal attitudes have been projected onto God. She covered every page with transparent parchment and then, with a gold highlighter pen, began to mark the text, making a vertical line between words where a female presence has been omitted and highlighting over words of vengeance, deception, cruelty, and misogyny. Elon started with the word dominion. I had to highlight that, not to say anything, let the, mid, the person who's reading this um, be their own midrashist, as it were. That was the first stage of the project. And then I went through every single word of the whole five books of Moses. When my mother knew I was doing such a thing, she was very upset. She said, what do you need this for? Why, of course, you know. And then I would say something terrible like, look, I know better than Moses. <laughs> she, and she'd say, Moshe Rabbeinu, what are you saying? And I said, it's not his fault. He did not have feminist consciousness. But she was not placated. Despite their differences... Elon and her mother remained deeply connected and never abandoned the effort to listen to one another. In 1996, the Jewish Museum exhibited Helene Elon's Liberation of God. I guess my mother felt when I finally showed this work after six years of doing it, of doing the highlighting, and the, so it was shown in the Jewish Museum. So she sort of felt, well, if it's in the Jewish Museum... Maybe it's sort of kosher, but still, she was complaining until, and even when she came to see it. 
And so I said, look, Mom, thousands of people, and really, literally, there were a few thousand comments, a lot of hate letters, of course, but uh, which I didn't mind, and uh, love letters, of, especially by women who were just saying, thank goodness you did this. Somebody had to do this. And so I said, look, why don't you just write down what you feel? It's fine. She took out her big black marker that she carries with her and gigantic letters she wrote. Dear Helene, there are good teachings in the Torah. Why are they not acknowledged in your peace? I would have felt better if you did mention the greatness of the teachings, Mom. And for some reason, I don't know why, but anybody who opened those books, that was the page that came into their view. The liberation of God is just one element of the God Project, which consumed Elan during the 1990s. Another work from that time remains in her New York apartment. It's a piece she's never shown publicly, and she calls it Epilogue, Alone with My Mother. It's a small pew painted deep red, with two books on the lectern, pages fanned and frozen open, what she calls the books that cannot close. She says it's sort of a reconciliation piece with her mother and recalls when they used to attend Yom Kippur services together. She wrote a proclamation to accompany the sculpture. I sit with my mother for the last hour in the Elah when it is inscribed, Who shall rise and who shall fall? Who shall live and who shall die? I was born from this mother, and she, Etta, was born from Hinda, and Hinda has died, and Etta's turn is next. Can I say this? And my turn is next. This was written in 1992. Of course, she has died since 98. There are only two certainties, says a Midrash, only two. From a mother aim we began. As a dead person mate, we will end. That's the emet. That's the truth. Now I sit alive with my mother alive. She is 92 this year, and we sit alive before the gates are shut. I return from the heights of the vast outside to the inside where air is disappeared, sucked up by day-long sighs. I look toward the bench where Aunt Tybee once sat, beaming at me with watery eyes no matter when I came in. Now strangers are sitting where Aunt Tybee once sat with Aunt Elka and Aunt Molly. My mother looks for Torah scrolls covered in velvet, fringed in gold, to be dressed and undressed like dolls held and kissed, like eye dolls held and kissed, I dare say. The books that will not close are there. I put them there. They're covered and blushing pink. I say, Mom, the words do show through the overlay, but take the last chapters, the blessing and the curse. You see the blessing and I see. Oh, can we read this so I can explain? To my query, she answered, Helene, I'm a plain person. Would I want a different answer? I look out the semicircular window as the ram's wail trails length of my breath, then jolted by shouts, the Lord, he is God. Again, six more times, I deny who Elohim. I stand erect, she bends to all. A good year, Ibra year, a good year to next year. I wait my turn to be blessed.
Helene Lohn stops here, and she tries to explain the mix of feelings she still has towards her mother and her adherence to tradition. When I said, would I want a different answer, I realized that for all my arguing and discussing for years and years, um, defending my stance, would I want my mother to say, okay, I'm calling Gloria Steinem tomorrow. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we need people like my mother, these traditional people. I'm not sure about that. I want to change it, but I sort of had to have my mother the way she is and that's all the whole book is very contradictory you know and I that's why I like the Kabbalah because one can hold contradictions Helene Lon's art contains these contradictions which she releases in work after work that dive deep into the richness as well as the infuriating rigidness of tradition throughout she continues that conversation with her mother who died at the age of 100 Now, Helen is working on a series of enigmatic and beautiful photographs in a mysterious, almost biblical landscape. In each photograph, the artist appears, sometimes more than once, as if she is walking away from us. She's dressed in swaths of unbleached linen, a matriarch holding a staff, contemplating this beautiful, austere land. They're called turnings because I'm just turning around. That's all I'm doing. I mean, how does one face the end of life? I'm just turning here. I'm turning there. I'm looking to the land to answer me somehow, to give me some wisdom or to tell me something, because I never as an artist wanted to make my mark, my designation. Uh, I wanted the art to tell me something. Helene Lund's art tells all of us a great deal about life and mystery, about the ebb and flow of time, and the desire to remain connected while pursuing difficult questions. Her art reveals a great deal about being a Jewish daughter, mother, and artist in the 20th century. For Vox Tablet, I'm Julie Burstein. Julie Burstein is the author of Spark, How Creativity Works. If you want to see samples of Helene Elon's work, we've got a slideshow up for you at tabletmag.com. Definitely check it out. If you want to see her work live and in person and you're in the Bay Area, go to the SF MoMA. She's part of a group show there called Beyond Belief, 100 Years of the Spiritual and Modern Art. She's also included in a Sabbath-themed show that's just opened at the Hebrew Union College in New York City. Her memoir, Whatever is Contained Must Be Released, was published by the Feminist Press, and she'll be reading from it this fall at the Jewish Museum in New York City and elsewhere around the country. You can find out more information, as always, at tabletmag.com. That's our site. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. From all of us at Tablet Magazine, we want to take this opportunity to wish you a sweet and happy new year. Shana Tova. All the best in the coming months. 